Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is Walking in the Spirit by Pastor Sean Wood. Today I want to talk about the fact that God has made a way, just like that fly rod. I was going to describe it, but it's a lot harder to describe than it is to show you. But if I sit that fly rod down on its own, that fly rod has all the power and all the ability to fling that fly to the other side of the church. But nothing's going to happen unless I pick it up. And if I haven't got the fly rod, it doesn't matter how good a technique or how strong myself or Rob are, we're never actually going to throw that fly that distance. It doesn't matter what we try to do. And many of us are trying to get stronger and improve our technique and we're trying to just do everything in our own strength and we'll just get stronger, we'll just get better, I can do this God, I'll just turn up to church more, I'll just do all of these things and I'll reach your holy standard. When God says, you don't have to do that, I've given you another power. That's what Romans 8 begins to expose. We're going to pray and then we're going to continue in God's word. Father, I thank you this morning that your word is truth. We live in a world that is scrambling, looking for truth, and we have that truth. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes and our hearts this morning to see more of you in your wonderful name. Amen. We, we finished in Romans chapter 8 last week, and we finished in verse 3. And verse 3 says this, For God has done, God has done, you need to highlight and underline that word, God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh. He condemned it in the flesh of Christ. But God has done what the law could not do. Now here is the problem with the law, so to speak. Uh, What happens is when God brings Israel to himself, he reveals himself to Israel. But the moment God does that to all of us, something instantaneous happens. We realise that there's an incompatibility because over here is an enormously awesome, holy God. And over here, as the law highlights, is the incompatibility of the sinfulness of man. And the story of the gospel, the good news of the gospel is not that God has moved his standard. So me and Rob, I think the best throw was Rob's. So you're a fisherman, right? The most, the, the most holiest and devout disciples were fishermen, by the way. And I think the best me and Rob could do was like here. And it's not like God all of a sudden moved his standard. That's not what God has done. God hasn't dropped his standard. God hasn't moved his standard. He's still holy and he still demands holiness of us. No, no, no. He's elevated us so that now we can be in relationship with him because he's made it possible and he's given us a power to do what the law could not do. Verse 4, if you're tracking with me this morning, Uh, We'll pick it up there. It says, verse 4, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled. The righteous requirement of the law was holiness and morality before an awesome and holy God. He has not lessened his glory. He has not shadowed his holiness. He does not drop his standard. He elevates us. 
What I love about that passage that Paul writes there is there's no S at the end of requirement. This isn't a list of systems. This isn't a list of formulas. This isn't requirements. There was one requirement. There was one standard. And as myself and Rob highlighted, that in man in his own strength, there will always be a gap. Mother Teresa, in all her good works, in all that she did on the streets of Calcutta, doesn't matter how good she was outside of Christ, there's still a gap. Billy Graham, there's still a gap. I'm going to surprise everybody here this morning. Sean Wood, there's still a gap. Really? No. There's still a gap. So how is it that we can reach that standard? Great question. What does that look like in each and every one of our lives? Well, I'm glad you asked those questions. Augustine says that the law was given that grace may be sought. The law was given because... (laughs) It highlighted we needed God's grace. But grace was given that the law may be fulfilled. For those that read Augustine. Let's keep reading on in verse 4. He says, In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who? Who? Who does it get fulfilled in? That requirement is fulfilled in those who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the flesh. To the spirit. Now, whenever we see that word walk, it's a very favourite one of Paul's, and it's a verb which basically means your habitual daily conduct. It is the direction of your life. We'll unpack that a little bit more in a moment. When you read in Genesis chapter 5 or Hebrews chapter 11 that Enoch was a man that walked with God, what does that mean? It means that Enoch, amidst a very perverse and debaucherous generation, it means that he decided, I'm going to orientate my life and keep it in step with God. Enoch made a choice to keep in step with God. He walked with God. He orientated his life towards God. The interesting thing about the Christian walk is it's not defined by what's behind you. It's defined by the direction you're heading in. We're not defined by our mistakes. We're not defined by our failures. If you haven't failed, then get in line and start failing. The greatest leaders of history were some of the people who failed the most. But not defined by what's behind us. It's defined by the direction we're heading in. People who walk in the Spirit fulfill that requirement. But they need a different power. This walk, uh, I remember when I was in Tasmania, we had two dogs before we came up here. We still have one, which is a Jack Russell. And uh, the other one we had was Rocco. He was, he was Dad's dog. He was, because he, he did as he's told, right? So Rocco was this huge, great, big, goofy-looking thing that used to slobber on everything, and uh, we had Rocco kind of before we had the Jack Russell, and I used to walk Rocco, and I could walk Rocco anywhere. I could walk you through the middle of town off the lead. Uh, I would take Rocco for a walk behind our house, and uh, it didn't matter if there was another dog, didn't matter what was around, Rocco did what he was told. I, I could just click my fingers, and Rocco would come back, and he, if there was a person with a dog coming because they were scared. I've seen a chihuahua chase this dog down the path. Like, big, goofy-looking, slobbering mess of a thing it was. Uh, But he had a beautiful nature, and every time we were out for a walk, he would get a certain distance in front, and then he would turn around and check that I was still coming. 
And if, if he fell too far behind, he would quickly, speedily hurry to catch up. And I was very proud of myself that I could walk this dog and without a lead. And had complete, if Annette walked him, different story. But then we got a Jack Russell. And Jack Russells are English, so I don't need to say a whole lot more. <laughs> We've had a few Jack Russells in our days, and I love them, but they're possessed. <laughs> and, of course, it was Reuben's dog, and they take after their masters normally. But, uh, but in my prideful state, I had decided and determined that I was going to walk that Jack Russell the same as I walked Rocco. And I'm going to tell you now, I'm going to give you a heads up, it didn't work out too well for me. But he was okay, and he would walk... He would kind of linger as well, but he never checked back to see where I was because he never really cared. And if he was behind somewhere, he kept doing whatever he wanted to do. And he didn't walk like Rocco did. He, he wanted to kill anything on four legs. Cats, okay, but dogs, uh, there's a bit of a scrap. I remember one day I was walking both of them and, and uh, they, they were narrow kind of tracks. You couldn't really see too much in front of you and I remember coming around the corner, both dogs are off the lead, they're up in front of me and, and I come around the corner and here's a, a man and a lady with three Staffordshire dogs and uh, I, I didn't even get the J out before he's off, Rocco's already here, he's doing as he's told, he, he's back here and, and Jack has made a run for these dogs and as he's got to them and he's about to pounce, he's realised he's got a problem, there's three dogs and I've got one mouth. And he's, he's leapt and then gone sideways and just body planted the whole three of them. <laughs> and there's a huge, great big raucous, and Rocco's come in to help out the little twerp. And I, I've managed to bail him up, and the people that are walking the dogs are very angry. But can I tell you that Rocco epitomises what walking in the spirit looks like, and Jack sometimes epitomises what most of us and our Christian walk can look like, where everything's going fine until that thing walks across the path. A public enemy number one for the Jack Russell? Cats. And that's okay. That's how God created it. And we're going to see, I, I, I now want to unpack for you how it is that you can walk in the Spirit the minute you leave here today. All of us can walk in the Spirit. Paul's now going to tell us how we do that. And it may be not necessarily how you thought. Let's get reading and see what Paul's got in store for us. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to Jack, but according to Rocco. For those who live, live and walk, uh, translators have interchanged those words, but in the Greek it's the same. Who live, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds, underline those three words, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. If you want to live your life according to the Holy Spirit, Paul's told us how we do that now, we set our minds on the things of the Spirit. To set your mind on something in the Greek here is far more than just to think thoughts of. 
The best way to understand what Paul is trying to describe here is to set your mind on something is to become completely engrossed and preoccupied with. This, this encompasses your thoughts. This encompasses your needs. This encompasses all of your desires. You are completely and utterly preoccupied if you have set your mind. To be mindful in the spirit is to be mindful of the things that the spirit are, to be preoccupied with him. I believe it was William Temple who said that your religion is what you do with your solitude. Basically, what he's saying is when nobody else is looking, who you worship will show up in your solitude. When no one else else hears your prayers, when nobody else is in the closet, we begin to see where you've got your mind set. You see, when I was walking Rocco and Jack, Jack had his mind set on killing anything on four legs. Rocco had his mind set on me, which was an interesting difference. I can remember, this didn't happen up here, but I have noticed it a little bit more as I swing in pastoral circles. I can remember uh, having meetings with somebody. I had to have have a series of meetings with a person um, as I was, uh, when I was back in Tasmania. They were important meetings, important for me, important for the person I was meeting with, uh, and also important for what was going on surrounding that. So uh, we'd had a couple of meetings. I can remember walking into one meeting and we both sit down. And uh, I had set aside time to come and meet this person. And the whole time we're having a conversation, it's a kind of vague and distant conversation because uh, on the arm of the chair, he's got his laptop and he's answering emails. At the same time, he's holding a conversation with me. Can I tell you, that evangelically ticks me off. And if it consistently happens and Pentecostally ticks me off. And then you know you're really ticked off when you're Pentecostally ticked off, right? The whole time we're having a conversation, I don't know if anyone saw Patch Adams where he's having a conversation with his doctor and then he says something really random, which I'm not going to repeat here, uh, and the doctor pays no attention. We're holding a conversation and I, and I said a couple of things that didn't tick, didn't register. And all of a sudden I realised I'm sitting in your presence here but you are completely preoccupied with something else. He's typing, answering emails. And I quickly said, you know what, I've forgotten something. And we actually had a series of about another five or six meetings that had to happen, and we had one of them. I said, you know, I thought to myself, you know what, Uh, if you're going to be preoccupied, you answer your emails, I'll go and do something else. But I wonder, and I was challenged when I was reading this passage, I wonder how many of us, God is in our presence And we're completely preoccupied with everything else. How many many times do we go through church and we're preoccupied with what's on Facebook or we're preoccupied with what's for dinner? What is for dinner, by the way? (laughs) I'm kidding. So often, we go through our lives and we end up off track. But can I tell you where your eye goes? Everything goes. And the challenge that Paul is laying down here is if you want to live your life according to the Spirit, if you want to live your life in accordance with the Spirit, become completely and utterly preoccupied with God. So many people are preoccupied with what's on television. So often we can be drawn away with being preoccupied with work. Psalm 
sporting commitments. Or for golf. I mean, who, that, that ruins a good walk, right? Golfers need to repent. Paul says, let's read this verse again now. For those who live according to the flesh, they set their minds. They are, they are preoccupied with the appetites of the flesh. They're preoccupied with everything else. But those who live according to the Spirit, they, they set their minds on the things of the Spirit. They're completely preoccupied. If you have a look at the people in the book of Acts, you wonder why God came in power in the first church. These guys were completely preoccupied with God. The church wasn't Sundays for these guys. They met in homes every night. They prayed together. They confessed their sins to one another. They met in the temple on Sundays. And church uh, in the first century, church looked a little bit like this. You kind, of, you kind of start about sunrise. You have some prayer and fellowship and you have a bit of tucker. And then the first apostle preaches and... We all have a bit more prayer and Chris Tomlin wasn't there and Hillsong wasn't there. Um, And then we have, by the time the day ends, which is around about sunset, we've gone through half a dozen prophets that have shared the word with us. Uh, Sorry, apostles that have shared the word with us. And everybody's prayed for each other. That was church in the first century. They were completely and utterly preoccupied. God preoccupied Yes, they existed in the world. Yes, they lived lives. Yes, they had work they had to go to. Yes, they had to put food on the table for the family. They had to do all of those things, but they were doing those things completely preoccupied with God. We wonder why sometimes God's distant presence seems so distant from us, but when we're preoccupied with everything else. What did the psalmist say? David says, in Psalms 34, David says that I have set your face ever before me that I may not sin against you. And the reference in Hebrew to face is presence. I have set your presence ever before me. I am mindful of you and your presence ever before me so that I may not sin against you. Setting our minds on the Spirit. Let's keep reading. Verse 6, for to set the mind on the flesh is death. Now, we covered life and death last week for those that were here, and this is not talking about physical. That'll happen to everybody in this room, one way or another. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, it is separation from God. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Last week we looked at the word life, and I think we should press the pause button for a moment because there's another beautiful, beautiful attribute of the Holy Spirit, which is called peace. And we are reading a chapter now which is all about assurance and security. Uh, I believe Tony read the end of uh, Romans chapter 8. Uh, the nine nors, nothing will separate you from the love of Christ. doesn't matter what it is. There's your security, there's your assurance. Nothing in this world, nobody in this world can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That's the message. That's how Paul sums it up. But there are two kinds of peace. There is the peace which is the absence of conflict. Romans 5.1 says that we have peace with God or we have the removal of enmity with God because of the work of Christ Jesus, that we have, we have no conflict now between us and God because of the work of Christ Jesus. Then there is the peace of God. 
In the Hebrew, it sounds a little bit like this, Brother Michael. Shalom, shalom. Amen. And shalom, shalom in the Hebrew transfers over into the Greek, means exactly the same thing, but it's not the absence of conflict. Uh, Let me give you one example. Job says in Job 5, he says, my flocks were in perfect shalom. Does that mean that the sheep weren't fighting? No, it means that there was none of them missing and there there was complete and perfect... Sheep do fight, by the way. There was complete and utter perfect wholeness. The word shalom, shalom, or the word peace speaks about being complete. It speaks about being whole. You can't have that and have your mind set on the things of the world. To set your mind on the things of the spirit is to have life. That is that union with God, that that Zoe kind of life. It's to have God, life as God has it, and to have peace. I remember a lovely brother from Lagana in Tasmania. I remember when we went back there uh, a couple of years ago, I was talking to him, and, and a guy had stumbled into Lagana from up here, actually. And he had gone, he had separated from his wife under certain circumstances, and he was, his, his mother was a beautiful Christian lady, and he had sort of been in and out of church when he was young, but hadn't been there for a long time. And uh, against his mother's wishes, he says, I'm going to Tasmania. So uh, I don't, read, it, read into that what you like. But he says, I'm just going to go for a road trip. And he kind of just backpacks his way, hitchhikes his way across. Before he walked out the door, he had an interesting testimony. He says, before I walked out the door, mum said to me, someone's going to ask you a question in Tasmania that you can't answer. Whatever, mum. Gets in the car, across the boat, gets into Tassie, which is, you know, one step from heaven. And then he's travelling around and a guy in this... A hippie van, plenty of hippies, plenty of hippie vans in Tasmania. A guy in a hippie van stops and picks him up and they're travelling along the road. Now, this hippie guy, he's not a Christian. And as they're travelling along and they're in conversation, the guy turns around to him and says, hey, man, he says, what do you do for your peace? And that was during the week. And that was the question he couldn't answer. But he... His testimony is, I realised it's the one thing I was missing. I was incomplete on the inside. The, next, the very next Sunday, he walked into Lagana Because he knew that he couldn't answer that question. Outside of union with Christ, there is no peace. When there is a world that is spiralling out of control... The United States is spiralling out of control. It's starting at the top. It's working its way down. The United States is spiralling out of control. The globe is spiralling. We're suffering a pandemic that we can't control. Something happens to mankind when they lose control. They, they get an inner turmoil. They get an, they get an unrest on the inside. But we have a peace. Why? Because we know we're not in control. And somebody above us is most certainly in control and he has not... Ab- his throne. Let's keep reading on. Verse 5, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, separation from God, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, says Paul, for it does not submit to God's laws. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. 
Verse 9, I love verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to Christ or belong to him. I want to talk about this word dwell. (laughs) Uh, um, The Holy Spirit is a most perfect, wonderful and glorious gentleman. The Holy Spirit, greatest revelation in my life was when I realised the Holy Spirit wasn't a force. It wasn't an apparition. He is a wonderful and glorious person that I can cultivate a relationship with. But I'll make a guarantee right now, uh, he will not abide anywhere he is not made welcome. You see, if somebody comes over to your house, let's, let's unpack this word dwell for a moment. If somebody comes over to your house, you know, we open our front door, we say, hey, come in, make yourself at home. But what we really should say to those people is, hey, come in, make yourself at room. Because what, what happens is when they come in, we, they don't go anywhere in the house they like. This is not your home. This is not your house. We say make yourself at home, but what we really mean is I've sectioned off a portion of the house for guests. The basement. No, it's not. (laughs) And so many of us say to the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. And what we really mean is you're welcome inside this box that I've neatly constructed for you. There's a number of things, um, I'm going to make a statement that could get you sacked as pastor. There's a number of, the, number of things that God can't do. Everyone's getting theologically ticked off now. But, but my Bible tells me that by two immutable things, it's impossible for God to lie. God cannot lie. The Bible tells me that God cannot sin. My Bible tells me that God is eternal and he cannot cease. So He can't stop. I want to tell you another thing that God cannot do. God cannot be second. He cannot be second in your life. He cannot be, I'll get to you later, God. He cannot be, he, he, either, he doesn't want a room in your life. He must have all of your life. All of the Old Testament All of the New Testament tells me that our God is a jealous God. That means that he he has affections over what is rightfully his. The difference between jealousy and covetousness is to covet something is to have the same emotions as jealousy, but for something that's not yours. That's envy, that's covetousness. To have jealousy is to have those same emotions but over property that is yours. God says, I am a jealous God. We are to be his and all of his. The Holy Spirit dwelling in our lives is not the Holy Spirit occupying a room in our lives. We've kind of, kind of sectioned off a section back here for you, God. You can, you can kind, of, kind of squeeze in here. Here's, here's, my, here's my room for my work life and, and here's my room for my my social life, and here's my room for my family life, and, and, and I've got this little closet down the back here for you, God. God says, no, 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 no. He says, I have to have all. He said, we like to have those little closets. 
sectioned off. They've got the police hazard tape across them. You know, Holy Spirit, you can't come here. Holy Spirit has to be able to open every single door. That's what dwell means. Dwell doesn't mean visit. Dwell doesn't mean you're welcome in our church, Holy Spirit, so long as you do what we tell you to do. It's the other way around. You're welcome in my life, God, but I'm just going to put you over there for a moment while I go and do what I want to do. The word dwell means he makes himself at home in all of our lives. You, however, verse 9, are not in the flesh but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, I love how this finishes this section, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Verse 11, if the Spirit of him, I love this verse, if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, and I want to ask everybody in this room this morning, does the Holy Spirit dwell in you or does he visit? And I'm going to confess, all too often, I allow the Holy Spirit to, to visit. It's a huge challenge to all of us. Is to open every door in our house and say, you can go wherever you want, Holy Spirit. You can put your finger on any part of my life you like. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, if he dwells in you, says Paul, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Some translations translate that will quicken your mortal bodies. Anybody here like popcorn? Most of us do, right? You ever wondered how popcorn happens? You've got that hard, brittle little kernel. You stick it in the frying pan or in the microwave. Next thing you know, there's an enormous explosion. And this beautiful thing called popcorn. And then there's butter. You've got to have butter. But the reason all of that happens is inside of that little corn kernel is actually moisture. I didn't realise this until I, I, I had read about it either. But there's, there's moisture in that corn kernel. And what happens is when you apply heat to the corn kernel, that, that moisture gets hotter and hotter and hotter and hotter until the steam and everything just goes boom. And everything on the inside is all of a sudden on the outside. And what Paul is saying here is if the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you, there's this thing going on inside and it's not long before, boom, everything on the inside makes its way to the outside. I want to let you in on a little secret that pastors have. We've come to realise something. It's taken me a couple of years to realise it, but I've come to realise something now that uh, whenever I'm talking to people in my office or I'm talking to other people and we're dealing... I've come to realise that the problem is never the fruit. Whenever people are are having challenges in their lives or, or whether it's good or whether it's bad, the fruit is only the organic substance or the organic natural produce of something else called the root in people's lives. And uh, I read a book by A.W. Tozer called The Root of the Righteous, where 
He goes back and looks at some of the old saints and everything like that, and he finds something enormously common. What we see on the outside of these saints, we we see an enormous abiding of the presence of God. We see an enormous anointing, because that's what the anointing is, the abiding presence of God. We see an enormous abiding of... There is a story of Smith Wigglesworth where he was walking down the corridor in a hospital past a priest who was sitting on the bench, and as he went past, the, the priest got on his knees and confessed his sin. Smith Smith Wigglesworth, like Paul in the book of Acts, used to pray over handkerchiefs and mail them to Africa. And the testimonies would come in of people that were healed. And what A.W. Tozer discovered was everything we see on the outside was the produce of the root of righteousness inside of somebody's. There was something internal. We could see the fruit. We could see the abiding presence. But inside was something that dwelt, that was bursting forth onto the outside. That's what Paul's talking about here. There is a futuristic connotation to that verse. Yes, that we will be in resurrection with him, but it applies now. Jesus said in John chapter 17, verse 3, Jesus said this. He said that this is eternal life that they may know you. That starts now. Eternal life starts now, but it has its completion when we go into glory with Christ. Friends, if you want the fruit on the outside, you've got to deal with the root that's on the inside. You've got to deal, you've got to let the Holy Spirit deal with those attitudes. You've got to let the Holy Spirit deal with some of that bitterness and that unforgiveness. You can let the Holy Spirit start getting his hacksaw out on some of those chains. There's people here today that need that hacksaw. It's uncomfortable. When I was in the forestry, we used to plant pine trees with a spade and uh, you used to have to open the hole up. You put the tree, drop the tree in, bare-rooted pines they were called. You drop the tree in, You press it and then you pull on the tree so that all the roots would go straight. Because the greatest threat to the maturity of that tree was anything wrong with the root. They used to call it a J root. If if any one of those roots were bent, the tree would get to a certain point and just fall over. So many Christians get to a certain point in their life and they fall over because there's problems with the roots. If you've got a fruit problem, because you've got a root problem. I'm going to ask the I'm going to ask the worship team if they can come back. We're going to finish with a song this morning, but I want to finish with something. Uh, everybody here that's around forty is going to know what I'm talking about. So praise God, that's none of you here. We're all younger than 40, right? But one show I personally used to like on television was a show called The Beverly Hillbillies. Anybody ever... Right? In fact, I think I saw you on there, Stu. No, I'm joking. (laughs) But we all know the story of The Beverly Hillbillies, right? The jingle goes that, you know, while Jed was out shooting for some food, up from the ground came a bubbling crude, right? We all know how the jingle goes. Yeah, Terry's going to get up and dance in a minute. But, be, but before we get there, before we get there, it's interesting. Uh, the story of the Clampets is that Jed goes out shooting one day. Uh, he misses, which means he wasn't Tasmanian. And uh, the, bullet, the, the bullet hits something and some oil comes up. 
And the story of the Clampets is that instantaneously from that point onwards, they become multi-millionaires. <laughs> but the truth is they were always millionaires. They just didn't know it. Old Jed, he's been walking on that ground for years. On the riches that lay beneath, and he didn't even know it. But the truth is that story was based around, they were, they were called the Beverly Hillbillies because they find their way in Beverly Hills, they sell their plot of land, they find their way in Beverly Hills, and they continue to live like hillbillies. God says, you don't have to live like hillbillies anymore. The message of the gospel is, everybody in this room is enormously rich. So often we don't know it. And then we're transferred into this palatial living in Christ. That's the position. Romans 6 and 7 highlights the, the wonderful position that God has transferred us to. The position that we are next week. You can't miss next week. Uh, two, two most powerful words in Romans 8 are Abba, Father. You can't, you can't miss that. But we're still living like hillbillies. God says you don't have to live like that anymore. You don't have to be dominated by the flesh anymore. You can live a new kind of we're going to pray and we're going to, we're going to finish with a song. If you need prayer this morning, then, then the altar's open. But let's pray together. Father, I pray right now this morning that you would do heart surgery on every one of us here. Holy Spirit, our prayer is that we would not have you as a visitor in our life, but that you would come and dwell. And I pray that this, Father, I pray this morning that every single one of us would grab the revelation <clears throat> that we're standing on the riches of Christ and we no longer have to live like hillbillies. Father, we are so thankful for Jesus. We're so thankful for the saving work and we are enormously thankful that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. I pray that the Holy Spirit would make his way from inside to the outside of every one of our lives. In your wonderful and glorious name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.